The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. A little rainy outside today. Yes, and and rainy and gray and our 163rd uh, show. It is. 163. We've been doing this a while now, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we've got to be closing. We actually know we have now passed the three year mark. No, we're just, uh, we're coming up to the three year mark. There uh, you go. I was going to say this, Jan- this coming January, we'll, we'll get to three. We started January two years ago. We're slightly over two. We're about two years, two and a quarter years along. Um, no, and it's not going to be, no, we didn't. St- did we start in January? Yeah. Our first show was like the last week of January two years ago. Um, huh. Oh, yeah. Because we didn't start in the middle of a season. I mean, we didn't start at the beginning of a season. It was in the middle. It's been a oh. while. Okay. I lost track because of the amount of time that I spent <laughs> writing, and I really should go back to writing when there's actual hockey again. But um, where do we want to start this week? Uh, I want to try and keep the college together. Trying, uh, yeah, this is one thing, and I saw it too. And all right, we'll get the bad news out of the way first. Uh, we're not starting with the oh that one. The, uh-huh. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Um, I heard this on. I heard this uh, very early on in the week, like close to after last week's show, and. That he hasn't he hasn't ruled it out is what I heard. You know, the story, the way it was reported, was that Tukarask hadn't ruled out retiring at the end of next season because it was the last year of his contract. Uh, I thought it was interesting that it came it came out not not too soon, but close enough to when. Jeremy Swayman signed his entry level. The fact that Vladar had himself a really good season in Providence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't forget, is, Halak is a free agent. Um, and, and Halak is a free agent at the end of this season. He's got a lot less miles on him than uh, than Rask does. So I, I, I don't know if this is... A, you know, one of those computer generated things or if there is really serious, I, I couldn't find anything when I started looking for anything that, that said Rask came out and said this. I just, no, no, no. This is, uh, this is from an interview with, uh, Nesson credits, uh, Matt Porter of the globe, uh, with doing the interview. Um, and you know what? He's not that young anymore. He's had a decent number of injuries. Um, he missed that time, uh, fairly mysteriously at the beginning of last year. Um, that, uh, yeah. And I don't know what that was all about. Those, family thing, whatever, but he's got those digestive issues that may be taking their own toll on him. He's played over 500 regular season games. Um, he won a Vesna. He's had a solid career. I mean, he's right now he's 33 years old. 
Um, he'll be 34 yeah. when his contract expires. Um, so ideally you'd have one more under 35 contract left in him. Um, and then, um, but is it going to be, if for some reason he's priced himself out of Boston, which is possible, um, it really depends on how much, uh, how much some of the younger guys sign for. Uh, McAvoy didn't really have a super offensive season, and poor Brandon Carlo got hurt again. Um, so that may limit their next contracts. Uh, but you've got Grizzlick, you've got uh, a couple of other young guys who are going to be in need of salary. Uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was just going to going back to he's, if he's gone, the, the fight for between the pipes up here in Boston becomes interesting because they brought in Max Legacy from Vegas as a free agent at the beginning of last season. Didn't exactly have a horrible season of his own. I mean, say a percentage of 919 goals against 2.37. Dan Vladar, as I said, had had a really good season. uh, Sub two goals against at 1.79. Save percentage of 936. And that's over 25 games. That's, it's not like he only played five or six. We're, 25 games is not something to sneeze at. Legacy only played in 33. I mean, Kyle Kaiser is probably going to end up remaining in 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 the minors because he's still kind of struggling with the speed of the game. I would think. I mean, he had a higher he had a higher uh, goals against, lower save percentage, and then the signing of Swayman. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be contending for a backup job, but the more he gets pumped up because of his they might decide to give Swayman his give Swayman the number one slot in Providence or at least make him fight for it and then um, you know have Bladar and but do you I was going to say if he's going to start throwing around and and the old adage is that if you if you're talking about retiring you're already halfway there Something like uh, that, yeah. Something, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know the exact quote, but I mean, if if your head's halfway, if your head's already thinking about what's going on after the game, yeah, I, I kind of understand that. So the Bruins probably need to be thinking about this a little more seriously than I did because I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Um, and they have salary they have to commit right now this year. They have Grizzlick they need, who is uh, a free agent uh, yep. uh, come July or whenever the season officially ends. They have Krug, who's a free agent. Uh, Nordstrom, Bjork, and uh, are I worry a little less about. But Jake DeBrusque is probably looking at four million or so for in his next contract, um, somewhere between four and five and a quarter. Um, if the cap comes down after next season. That doesn't leave a lot of room uh, for retaining uh, Tuka Rask uh, over several younger players who you're going to get four or five years out of versus Rask who you might get three. But the, uh, but that's where I was kind of going with that is do you – if he does decide to call it a call it a career, do you 
do you sign and that's where I'm going with this is he's he's got another year but do you sign Rath do you sign Halak for another like two or two year deal or whatever if you think Rask is going to retire or you know Rask is going to retire absolutely well if because you know, if you know then yes no 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 if you know then yes i'm just unfortunately nobody knows except for Tuco whether he's going to you know but call does it a he day even or... know at this point like i said if he's talking about it that's the thing you never really heard ray bork give any notice that he was going to retire until he was in his 40s and Zdeno Chara still isn't talking about retiring, and he's in his 40s. And Patrice Bergeron, I believe, was uh, is the same age or so. No, he's a year younger uh, than Tuka Rask. He's not saying he's going to play till he's 45, but he's <laughs> he's not talking about retiring. Um, right. So, so the conversation was when I asked his expectation for his future workload, the conversation shifted. I have one year left in the contract, so we'll see if I even play. Is that a real that's possibility? A we'll no, see, he said. Huge, no, no, no. We'll see if I even play. We'll see if I even play. See, there's that, not a lockout coming. There's no <laughs> There's no strike coming. That's a – that's 100% a Tuka Rask statement. And then he asked, is that a real possibility? And again, he said, we'll see. It's always a possibility or always a possibility, quote unquote. I'm sorry. This man's head is halfway out of the game already. That's what bothers me about this is that if you're thinking about whether you're going to play or not, then your head's not 100. Then your head's a year away. Then your head's not in the game. It. I haven't heard I haven't heard Zidane Chara say anything about well if I play or if I sign another contract or if I'm going to come back. like you said Ray Bork I I mean they traded him because they wanted him to get his cup before he retired but he was what 40 at that point 42 Oh he was 41? yeah he was well over 40 he was 40 40 plus it it doesn't really matter but Ray Bork Ray Bork stopped because he won Yes, he got his he got his Stanley Cup, and it was time to you know now he had done pretty much everything he could do, and he had plenty he had Norris trophies and I just I yeah that a statement like that is very telling to me. Uh, I could be wrong, we could all be wrong. He could turn around and play for another four years, but a statement like that just tells me that his mindset is not where it needs to be. I understand that there's no season at the moment or there's a, a an interruption in the season for the moment. But, yeah, this is not where his head needs to be. Not if in he, any way. If he's going to if he's going to keep playing that just and, yeah, the Bruins need to start looking at what their options are. And it, it, I thought it was when I saw when I first heard Somebody report this, and I can't remember if it was Channel Seven or one of the or the Hockey Network or whatever. But when I first heard this, and I was like, "Okay, we just signed Swayman like a day or two ago, whatever it was." Uh, Vladar's coming off a really strong season in, in Providence. Uh, Legacy, and they pushed each other. It would seem. I mean, they both had 
decent numbers. So it would seem that they pushed each other as much as uh, Lagasse's uh, experience in the NHL, not as strong. I mean, with Vegas, he it took him a bit to kind of catch up to the speed of the game is the best way I would know to put it. He, he had some good nights. He had some, he had some rough nights. I just, I, it, yeah, it, it all ties a little too perfectly together. It's a little too weird for me. I, I really don't. People are going to think that we're just winding them up over Rask. But I don't know how you can look at his statement and not wonder about his health and wonder about his actual commitment to the game. Because, yes, one of his most recent injuries was that concussion. And yes, the league handled it wrong. Maybe, maybe he's having some post-concussion syndrome still. It wouldn't be surprising. We know how we now know how badly it bothered uh, Tim Thomas. Um, if that's the reason, that's fine. Um, but either, regardless of your thoughts on on Tuka Rask, whether you're a big fan, not a fan, or have a midline evaluation. The fact that he's saying, I don't know if I'll even play a year before that point, that's franchise impacting. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You're not going to get an argument from me. Um, On the other end of the news, um, Future Considerations has pointed out the Western Hockey League will have uh, the ability to draft an exceptional player uh, next year in Connor Bedard, or he's, rather this year. He's granted exceptional status, which I had never heard of, and with good reason, because it's never been done, apparently. <laughs> uh, it's, it's happened a couple of times, and you know most of the players. Um, oh, okay. He, oh, okay. I, I'm, uh, I've never heard players. of it then. <laughs> yeah, five players from the Ontario Hockey League. I think we're all going to be familiar with the first uh, three names. Um, John Tavares, Aaron Eckblad, Connor McDavid. Uh, Sean Day was uh, number four. And then Shane Wright recently. Um, okay. I We don't really need to talk about the first three. They were clearly right that time. Um, Joe Villano was, uh, the one player from the queue. Um, he was drafted by your, uh, Detroit Red Wings last year and had an okay and possibly injury filled season. I didn't get a chance to look that deep, um, in the, uh, AHL last year. Um, <clears throat> if, if he's as good, uh, as the, well, the average is a right around 50% hit hit rate for the uh, OHL guys. That's where I got the first part. That's where I got he was the first because it says BC Hockey would like to congratulate Connor as being the first player from Western Canada. So he's from British Columbia Hockey. He's the first one to be granted exceptional status. My apologies. I misunderstood the statement when I read it. 
Yeah, I, I don't know that Sean Day is going to have the same level of impact as the others. <laughs> We're just going to leave that one alone. Uh, right. Up my, in my, my thing is that being 15 year old granted this exceptional status, uh, does it put does it shine any bigger spotlight on him? I mean, obviously, Connor McDavid, uh, John Tavares, I, does it make him bigger in the eyes of everybody else? I mean, are we suddenly yeah. going to focus on this kid three years from now as the as the presumptive number one overall? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, Shane Wright. Old. Shane Wright last year was his actual first year in the uh, in the O uh, Center. Sixteen year old, five eleven, one hundred and eighty pounds, uh, fifty eight games, thirty nine, twenty seven, and sixty six. Not bad, not bad at all. Um, in fact, he led the team. Um, on, he led the team in uh, points. Um, Actually, he led the team in goals and points. So, uh, I mean, if the ex- the exceptional status is rare as it should be, um, I, I think with scouting uh, being what it is, we may see it a little tiny bit more in the next ten years than in the previous ten years. Uh, that's my hunch. Um, but suppose he's average for for this. He's going in the first round, almost certainly in the first fifteen. Yeah. Uh, in his draft class, the tanking starts now. The tanking may well start now because <laughs> well, uh, I'm looking at his numbers and apparently he had 84 points in 36 games for his U18 team. Yes, that's probably a sign that you're playing uh, beneath your own level. Well, I, I mean, when I went and went out back. In school, you wa- you'd watch players, and you knew in in high school, you knew which players were going to go on and get full boats to colleges. You knew which players had potential to move on to higher levels, bigger levels, whether it was going to be NHL or whatnot. You watch guys like like Sean McEachern, and and you just knew he was playing. Uh, you know. All of the other students around him were playing one game, and he was clearly at another level. And that's what I'm getting from this kid is that clearly, yeah, it's a U18 team. There's probably a lot of goals scored, a lot of points scored. But it sounds like this kid's clearly playing at a different level from even the guys around him. Uh, And, yes, this, this does put the spotlight on him. I really, really doubt that he got talked into this against his will because if he's that competitive, he just wants to play against the best and get better himself. Um, It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I forget which draft class. uh, 2023. 2023, Um, So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we can begin the 2023 drafting uh, or draft uh, discussion right now. Um, who is, which teams are going to start trading pieces in order to line up those first round picks, uh, then Red Wings, uh, they won't, they probably won't need to trade pieces to land there. (laughs) Just a hunch. They're going to be drafting in the top five. Just a hunch. Yeah. But if he's going to go number one overall, they got to find a way to get there. (laughs) 
I mean, what are the? I mean, if they if they happen to be picking third, they they're not landing this kid. <laughs> Likely no, but uh, he he still has to go first, and I'm sure but that I, there are. Some but I also don't think that Steve. I don't. I also don't think that Steve Eiserman is going to allow them to play down to that level just so they can get a pick three years from now. <laughs> I think he's going to want to see improvement between now and then. Uh, he might want it, but um, I don't see the ponies in the barn to do it. So th- they do actually, th- they don't give any kind of explanation. It's not a huge explanation as to what exceptional player status is. It says here, exceptional player status is granted to a player whose qualities both on and off the ice deem a player deserving of entering the CHL early. Basically, uh, they're outperforming everybody on the ice, and they, you know, probably shower without having to be told to and put their equipment away after the game. I was thinking, I was thinking, school probably plays some kind of part in this as well. Uh, Maybe consideration of such status is only granted to a player whose ongoing development is more likely to be significantly enhanced by playing in the CHL as a 15-year-old than by participating in his designated age division next season. That I would agree with. If he's scoring ridiculously more than even the top, say, five or ten players in in his current league, then, yeah, he probably needs stiffer competition. In which case, I can see them allowing him to play in a, into a – play himself into a, a – a stronger league, which I, hey, at fourteen, you know, uh, fourteen, fifteen years old, it, it's good to see what kind of pressure he can handle too. He's still a teenager and he's still a youth. I get it, but if he's going to be playing in the NHL at eighteen, you need or to even see at nineteen. He needs. You need to see what kind of makeup there is and and. And having that extra spotlight for an extra year gives him time to adjust when the stakes are a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So we got Rast leaving. We got the youth coming in. Uh, while we're talking about him, and and we talked about uh, potential uh, new goaltenders in in the Bruins. I uh, may as well cap it off with another segue into the Hobie Baker finalists. Go for it. Ah, uh, well, love watching college hockey. Not sure if the Hobie Baker is the um, curse that everybody seems to think it is, but in some cases, yeah, I guess you look at a Jimmy VC and, and prior Hobie Baker winners, uh, you know, so that being said, the top ten, and I'd say there are what three that are three of the top ten are, are New England, New England College uh, prod, products. Pretty much, yeah. And You've then got, we've got a couple from Minnesota as well, like three or four from Minnesota as well. Uh, and, and the breakdown is, it, I love that they give the breakdown. Hockey East had four. Yep. Um, Seven Americans. Seven seven out of the ten are American, one German. German. One German. There are no repeat finalists from the year before. 
UMass has a finalist for the second straight season. That would be uh, John Leonard, I believe. And the Hobie Baker will be held June 17th. And, uh, yay, a, a hockey, an organized hockey event. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, uh, assuming, it, it, you know, we're allowed to have gatherings of 10 people again. And it, it's... It, I just I I like the 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 mix six forwards two defensemen two goaltenders it, there are two sophomores six juniors two seniors I don't know a lot about most of the, we have seen a few of them you and I uh, David yep. Farrens is on the list uh, defenseman from Boston University and played a very strong very, played a very strong game during the bean pot that we went and saw. Uh, John Leonard at UMass. I don't know as much about him. Uh, he's a well. They list him as forwards. They don't give him specific positions. But he's listed as a forward. I and then uh, there's Jeremy Swayman, who we have aforement, who we have mentioned with the Bruins story. And Jeremy Swayman had himself a strong season up in Maine. You were worried about the Hobie Baker being a curse for him if he gets it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> My opinion is that it's literally the peaked in college award um, because we really haven't seen very many, uh, very many players who went on to be elite in the NHL after having won it. Like and I said, Jim, when I say see. elite, I'm talking top two or three percent in the league. Okay. That's Do you ha- I I don't know who the last Hobie Baker Award winner would have met that criterion. I I can't think of a single Hobie Baker Award player uh, winner who met that criteria. Um, and that's that's the that's generally speaking what. I worry about with the award. Um, and I'm not saying that they, that the guys get it and <clears throat> stop trying. Uh, that's not it. Um, I'm saying that the guys win the award because they had physically and mentally developed to a higher level, sometimes with extra years than the other 1500 guys playing division one college hockey. Um, and that makes a difference, but that. Well, if you, if you want to make a case for John Leonard, uh, he is a junior at Am, he is a junior at UMass. Uh, he's a hometown boy because he's from Amherst, Massachusetts. <clears throat> uh, quick look at his stats season by season. He's improved every year, 28, 40 and Actually, okay, took a dip this year, 37, but his goals went up by nine. He didn't have as many, nearly as many assists. Uh, you'd like him. He's, I get the impression he's a two-way player. He was a plus 17, five power play goals, and one shorthanded goals. Six goals. Six of his goals were game winners. Uh, shooting percentage of a shade under 20. He's only had four penalties for eight minutes total on the season in 33 games. Uh, I get the impression that he's a, a 200 foot player. Uh, like I said, I haven't seen much of him, but sure. 
Um, now, looking back at the Hobie, uh, the Hobie Baker, mm-hmm. um, in the last three years or the last three or four years, well, actually, we'll just go back six years. Kale McCarr, Adam Gaudet, Will Butcher, Jim VC, uh, Jack Eichel, and Johnny Goudreau. We can safely call Jack Eichel when healthy an elite player. We can would you would you go there for Goudreau? Johnny, we can arguably call Johnny Hockey elite. The okay. rest of them, I want to see more. Kel well, Kel McCarr, it's his rookie year. I do want to see more because I want to be able to make a, I want to make an informed, uh, educated decision on whether I consider him elite. I like and what he, I see I so that, far. I think that's a minimum of a three season evaluation. So even Will Butcher, I'm not really prepared to say nope on yet. Jimmy VC, yes I am. Uh, I'm just not seeing. Is and he, he? I'm not saying he's a terrible player. He absolutely clearly belongs in the NHL. He's just not that that top two or three percent that you would, yes, one percent or whatever that you would and say Hobie Baker Award should be indicative of. So let's roll back in time. There's a bunch of guys that you've heard of mostly, but mm-hmm. legitimately the ne- the next person going back before Johnny Goudreau who, in my opinion, is an elite player uh, or at least hit the elite level a couple of times during his career, is Ryan Miller back in 2001. So 13 years before Goudreau, you have Ryan Miller. You can make a case. I don't know that it's a great one, but make a case for Chris Drury out of in 98. Uh, Uh, I would – I would be okay with it because I think Drury did. I think Drury. I don't know if I'd call him elite superstar or whatever, but he was he was up there. He was a he was a top tier, top top tier player. Um, and, and then before that, you have to go back a couple of more years. You have to go back to '93, where you get uh, Paul Korea. Um, I'm not sure there's many people willing to argue on that one. Um, you don't accidentally score 50 goals in the NHL. Um, Paul Correa came from the University of Maine, did he not? Uh, Black Bear uh, for one year, yep. Um, and then I, I'm not sure I remember anyone else on this list well enough. <laughs> Uh, to even count them. I mean, the only other name I genuinely recognize is George McPhee, and basically he's better known for his off-the-ice and front-office exploits than on-ice. I was say, George McPhee is probably going to be best known for what he's done in Vegas than anything else. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about Hall of Fame careers, uh, you're clearly not including his playing status, but he's still probably going into the NHL Hall of Fame um, as a general manager or an executive for putting that team. Taking, I would say um, taking taking a, a, an expansion team to the Stanley Cup final in their inaugural season? Yeah. Nah, that, that, that's not <laughs> worthy. That's not worthy. No. Nope. Can't see it. And then the following season, yeah, they uh, – 
they're still in the playoffs and struggling as they are, but uh, they did have some injuries as well. I just, I don't know if I want to call it a, a, a curse, but yeah, at the same point in time, if it if it's gonna if it's gonna bring the focus of, of uh, scouts and 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 players and hopeful fans. If it's going to bring their focus onto that one player and they don't live up to it, I guess I can see it. But it, it, at the same point in time, it, it's it's going to be awarded anyway, so why not have it go to somebody that uh, is deserving? Again, I, I don't think the award is a curse in its of itself. I think it's just an indicator that you're playing your best theoretically hockey now. Below your level. That you're theoretically playing below your level. Below your level. Uh, because a lot of the guys who have won the Hobie Baker Award have had reasonable NHL careers. You know, they played four or five hundred games. Um, I mean, but Jason Krog, Mike Matteau, Jordan Leopold. Those guys spent a decent amount of time in the NHL. Um, saying they're playing below Matt their level. Carl. I thought Matt might, Carl had a decent career, yeah. Uh, they they may well have been better off playing in the NHL that year uh, than in college. Okay. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what that award looks like 10 years from now and the type of guys who have won it. Um, because while there are more Division One teams than ever, uh, you're get and you're getting hockey t- hockey players from everywhere. It kind of seems like the same dozen or two schools are getting all the award winners. I mean, so either a Minnesota and New England, yeah, and or Colorado, and, and I'll have the best scouts. Or well, maybe see, it's, it's the kids want to actually play in an area where they know that there's a pipeline to the NHL. Well, part of it is simply, um, I mean, part of it, some of those schools are really big name schools academically. I mean, you, no one goes to Har- Well, Harvard is not ever going to be known more for its sports than for its, um, than for its academics. And when that day comes, the Harvard we do, we grew up with is dead. UMass Amherst, on the other hand, uh, it's a party school. I know that's a big secret, but is it really though? <laughs> I mean, will the do the kids that go there call it that, or do they actually say they're getting a decent education? Oh, see, that's the thing. UMass Amherst is a really UMass Amherst is hugely isolated. There's literally nothing around there. I was out there earlier this year. There's nothing there. Okay. Literally nothing there. Um, UMass Amherst is a small city tucked inside a small town. Um, and there's literally nothing to do except for party, workout, or study. Those, those are your three choices. Um, I mean, yep. there's there's certain things you can do outside. Not many. Um, okay. But – there's there's three choices without having to go down to New York City or out to 
I mean, the sprawling metropolis of Springfield. Um, there's really not much to do anywhere within an hour of campus. So study, workout, or party. It's possible to do all three if you're really good at uh, time management. <laughs> okay. So Boston University? Uh, BU is academically strong. Um, it's not necessarily – I mean it's hard to be in a big city and not have the ability to <clears throat> enjoy city life. In the, in, the area, in the area where Boston University is, I mean they don't call it University Row or whatever the, the phrase is for, for no reason. I mean you've got Boston University. You've got uh, uh, North- Suffolk, Northeastern. What? Uh, yeah, it, 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 the idea that – and yes, Harvard's over in Cambridge and BC is slightly down not the road in, in Brookline. What? Not from Boston? <laughs> Harvard is I'm not from Boston? What? No, no, no. Uh, BC is not from Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Boston College, not from Boston. Uh, uh, their zip code says they're in Brookline. Yes, it does. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I just, I, it's a, around here, it, it, it's, the talent's still coming here, whether it's for education purposes, hockey purposes. They, I think that younger players want to come to this area because you're going to get seen here. They're going to go to Michigan or Minnesota because you're going to get seen there. I think the other advantage that the big city schools or at least big name schools in the cities, uh, because there's that slight difference, um, have, if you're coming to Boston because you're going to see either Harvard or BC or BU, there's a pretty good chance you're going to slip in and see the other one, uh, or see Northeastern as well. Um, because you like either like the area or, it's convenient um, versus booking flights to, you know, Bowling Green and uh, Alabama or Phoenix or wherever. Um, not all the families uh, have the extra money for the whole family to fly out and do nine college tours. And I know that there's an official limit, and I know that there's also a lot of ways to have your friends give you a tour of campus that don't count towards your official limit. Um, so I think that the bigger name schools uh, or, and or schools in the bigger name cities have do have an advantage. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the Bay Area over the next uh, five, ten years and up in Seattle um, uh, as the NHL team uh, kicks off and Theoretically, a women's hockey league uh, with a team in Seattle uh, joins the fray and how that pulls more talent there. But it, but you think about it, it, it extends beyond just, OK, you go into Boston College, Boston University. Hey, let's pop in and see Northeastern. It, it, it expands to the whole region. I mean, OK, let's pop in and see Merrimack. Let's go see UNH, uh, Providence. How many and how many kids from these schools? aren't necessarily drafted, but are still getting signed to contracts 
mm-hmm. even though they haven't been drafted. I mean, you look at Providence College. Uh, the first one that springs to mind is Nolachari. Came to a couple. Came to a dev camp or two. Bruins signed him to an entry level deal, even though he was uh, after he finished his senior season. Uh, arguably a strong fourth fourth liner. Uh, I think he was a fan favorite here in Boston. Goes down oh, to Florida. He was really liked here. Go down to goes down to Florida and shows off his his offensive game uh, under a different coach, different coaching style. Uh, so there's one. And and how many of those kids uh, go to schools like that and don't necessarily? So it's not even the fact that you might get drafted. It's just the, the possibility of getting seen. And it doesn't have to be at one of the schools such as a BU or BC. You end up at a UNH. You end up at a Providence College. I mean, how many kids are how many kids are out there like that? Um, exactly. If you're if you're a if you know at 17 when you start looking at colleges that you're probably not getting drafted into the NHL anywhere above the sixth round. Um, yeah. And you're going and you're willing to go the college route. You should absolutely put yourself in a place where you're likely to be seen. Um, and the, there are, there are clearly some teams that are paying attention to that. Uh, if you look, uh, if you go back to 2012, um, and forward, there are five teams who have a huge number of games played from college free agents. Philadelphia, who has picked up in the last few years as a team, they're heading back in the right direction after a few years of being abysmal, um, has 561 games out of college free agents, and that number is going to continue to climb. Tampa Bay Lightning who really have had to be careful with salary because they've had uh, they've had Victor Hedman, they've had Vasilevsky and before him Bishop, uh, Steven Stamkos, and now Point and Kucherov and others. Um, the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, I don't. Edmonton isn't exactly the town, uh, the the franchise that I would think of mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to valuing college free agents. Uh, because like most Canadian cities, they do prefer um, they do prefer guys who went the uh, the Canadian Hockey League route. Um, they have 854 games from college free agents. Uh, in fact, four out of the five teams that top this list are U.S. franchises. Uh, the Buffalo Sabers, who I think they're one or two players away from a return to the playoffs. I don't know where that player is or who that player is, but I really do think they're that close to the playoffs. Even it's in the a, end. It, I'm going to guess with them, it, it's a player who, who can somehow sustain the momentum throughout the season. Uh, it and seems like healthy. they, they start, they start off the beginning of the year and they're strong and they jump to top of the list. And then, they get to the Christmas break, beginning of the beginning of the new year, and they're suddenly back in third or fourth, and and now they're in, in now they're out of a wild card spot. It, it, I don't. There's, they yeah, they need. A, I think they need a second personality who's as driven as Jack Eichel is, because whatever else you want to say about him, Jack Eichel is in that top one or two percent. For not just skill, 
but for they, Will. They had that guy. Yes. I uh, Letting go of Evander Kane, who played really, really well, oh, and Jack Eichel was dumb. And then the other, other guy that they let go, who was really, really dumb, uh-huh. was Leonard. There we go. Okay, now you came around. <laughs> I was actually going the other direction first. I had Leonard and then Evander Kane, because Leonard seemed to be the more outspoken. Don't get me wrong. Evander Kane can certainly hold his own in that department, but it, it would. I just got the impression that Leonard was the voice in that locker room. <laughs> well, you have to remember, Leonard was the established veteran on the team yeah. uh, who was above, clearly above league average. Um Kane had had a couple of a couple of years that showed he belonged in the NHL, but wasn't consi- really considered an elite player. Um, and of course, going back to the college free agents list since 2012 and leading the pack, Boston Bruins. There you and go. They're, and they're adding to that list. They're over. They're 500 games up on Buffalo um, with 1,513 games, and well, they're they've got, they've got guys like. Uh, just Tory Krug alone. Tory Krug alone, Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, you got Kevin Miller was, and I, I had forgotten that Kevin Miller was a yep. was a free agent signing. Uh, Carson Kuhlman, love Carson Kuhlman. We saw him at a, at, at a couple of dev camps as well. Uh, the, the aforementioned Nola Chari. I was not aware that Frank Petrano was a free, was a was a signing. Yep. Uh, it, well. Frank Petrano, as much as he's as much as I like his talent, um, he sort of didn't. Well, he didn't. He didn't always display the maturity that one would want from a player. He uh, didn't. Well, he didn't meet a shot he didn't like. So uh, he's the one who took. If there was anybody who took the Gretzky quote to heart, hundred <laughs> percent of the shots not taken don't go in. Yeah, I think that one's going to be stamped on stamped on his tombstone, his epitaph. He may have it tattooed somewhere, and <laughs> if you've seen it, I'm not asking where. Because he would shoot from anywhere. <laughs> he would shoot from literally behind his own net if he if he thought he could. There was no one in the way. Um, and, and, and 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 entertaining. Don't get me wrong; he was entertaining to watch. But yeah, there, there's. Uh, yeah, there's another side there, like you were saying, with the, the, the maturity thing. But he's and surviving down in Florida, so. Hey, hey uh, and more power to him. You know, he believes in himself, and you have to in order to drive through and make the top tier of excuse me the top league in any sport. Um, but but Calvin points out the value not just of all of these signings, but of the guys doing it. Um, he points to three uh, Bruins executives, Jamie Langenbrunner, uh, their director of player development, and scout Scott, uh, Scott Fitzgerald and Brett Harkins. And then he talks about who else uh, is uh, ready to add to those numbers. And my favorite is clearly Minnesota Duluth's uh, Nick Wolf. Nick Wolf is a big boy, six foot five, two hundred and twenty something, uh, in the two twenty five range, two twenty nine something like that. Uh, he's going to be a big boy. He's defensive defenseman, doesn't score a lot. But he I can haven't pass. 
I haven't seen a lot of haven't seen a lot of video on him, but what I have seen, he can hold his own physically, and yeah, he seems to have a decent set of hands. He's got he's a good passer, um, good uh, outlet, good outlet passing up the wing. And he, I, I hate to burden him with expectations. He seems to be a really really intriguing cross of Connor Clifton attitude on. Brandon Carlo's body. I was going to say, if he's paired up with Brandon Carlo, they can at least see eye to eye. Oh, okay. Oops, yeah. I um, but but he, yeah. He's seems clearly to... a more physical human being than Brandon Carlo. Brandon can yeah. hold his. I've seen Brandon. No, no, no. I'm talking about physical hitting, rubbing guys out. It's not yeah, that Brandon okay. doesn't do it. It's not his first approach. Brandon is a stick and body position first defenseman. And Nick Wolf. Nick Wolf is um, a guided missile, maybe too strong of a word, uh, but he's certainly he's he's absolutely going to take away your space. I would have uh, to agree with that one. And I, I love the quote here from Jamie Langenbrunner. It says, uh, and I had it. I just lost it. I would argue you that you have a better chance as a college free agent playing on a better team than on a weaker team. We're probably trading away picks usually, so left, less draft picks, and we're usually up against the cap. Good teams, so they have a quicker opportunity to get into the lineup. So it might seem like that on paper, but the reality is I don't believe that's the truth. I think there's opportunity. If you're good enough, you're going to find it. So he's saying you go and – you have a, you have a better opportunity as a as a college free agent if you're coming from a strong area. So again, it goes back to the prior thing of the kids are going to the areas where the universities are stronger. They're a little more prevalent, a little more visible, and you and get the these opportunities. Higher. And the competition, yeah, which is going to prepare you again for that next step to the NHL level, or that's the hope. And these guys, you watch some of these guys, you watch Carson Coleman. I mean, and that's where – that's – he's from uh, Minnesota. Uh, is it Minnesota Duluth or – Yes, Duluth. I just – and he's fun to watch. He's physical. He's He was ready for the – he looked ready. Uh, I, I'm not going to make any predictions uh, about – development camp today yeah nick wolf is on a one-year contract um uh, entry-level contract jack uh, sean the other uh defenseman uh signed out of college from minnesota uh no from st cloud st cloud state is on a two-year um and what's his name jack ashan ashan um i have not seen enough of ashan to make any sort of solid um any sort of solid uh, evaluation. I did see one or two um, games this year, but don't uh, so, don't I don't I won't pretend for a minute that I that I was studying him in particular. Um, well, there he goes. That said, he did finish just two points out of uh, first place on that St. Clouds team this year, um, behind Nick Poling, who I believe was. Is he a Pittsburgh draftee? No, he's undrafted. Uh, must be a relation of the other guy. Oh, you're talking about Ryan Paling. Paling, yep. 
And then uh, Easton uh, Brodzinski, also uh, another Minnesota local. Um, but so Jack, I, it's not uh, going to surprise me. It's not going to surprise me if uh, well, if if, if there if is to be a development late. If there is to be a development camp, these guys should be there. I can't. Oh, in fact, Nick Wolf there. is a. In fact, Nick Wolf is a Dev Camp veteran. Yes. Uh, he was at last year's and I believe the year before. Uh, Jack Ushon, and I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. So if I'm not, I apologize. Uh, slightly different stature from Nick Wolf. Uh, yeah, he's a he's built on the same body frame as like Matt Grizzlick. Uh, he's listed at five eight and one hundred and eighty pounds. Was it right around there? Yeah. Okay. So we've gone from Nick Wolf six five two twenty something, and now we've got Jack five eight one eighty something. Uh, well, that's what the Bruins pairs have been over the last couple of years. Um, there's been a more mobile guy and a more physical or at least more defensive guy uh, as a pairing um, for years. For a while, it was Krug and McQuaid at, as that second pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen um, we've seen uh, Grizzlick and bigger guys on uh, the other side with him or Clifton, who just thinks that he's six foot ten and two hundred and seventy five pounds. Um, uh, yeah, it's really not that uncommon. Um, it's almost a throwback to, uh, like late eighties, early nineties hockey, where every pairing had the defensive defenseman and the offensive defenseman. Um, even the, even the third pairing. And it's amazing the, the, the contacts and the, and the, the way they work behind the scenes because reading the reading the story regarding Jack here and it's uh, Scott Fitzgerald uh, amateur scout Doug Leverton was his assistant coach with the Cedar Rapids USHL team and then they're talking about McAvoy being his roommate on the World Juniors gold medal winning team in 2017 uh, so there was there was there was some uh, there's there some connections there which I think there is was good. certainly some influence yes there was certainly some influence poured on this kid <laughs> regarding coming here instead of going west <laughs> um, and honestly I think that I know that hockey players are pretty as a rule fairly gregarious uh, within their own numbers and just playing against everyone and with everyone for years, you tend to know someone almost everywhere, but to play, but to know someone who went, who came straight from college to the NHL as, as an NHL, uh, as a college player, you, that, that has to help as far as the adjust as talking about stuff like the adjustment and the season length, uh, the travel, um, and just the day to day, changes um yes well i'm gonna listen i'm gonna listen to i'm gonna listen to another player who's experiencing it 
more than I am. It, it's nice that Scott and 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 Doug and and any of the scouts they can give you a breakdown of what's going on, but it's those other players. It's that my roommate here, Charlie. My roommate here, Charlie. He's he's living it. He knows what's going on. So if Charlie says, "Look, you know, you got to come here. This is the way things are. It's really great that I'm going to listen to that, and it's going to weigh more for me than the scouts." working behind the scenes and and trying to sell me on on coming to a particular team so absolutely having that that connection that player to player connection is huge i how much i mean do we have do we have time yes <laughs> well i guess we have all day technically but uh I know we're trying to avoid it, but do we want to look at last year's draft? Well, not not so much last year's draft, but some of the predictions, some of the players who were put into the top ten, and we'll just compare it to um, the NHL scouting central's um, list right now. Um, most of you know we've used future considerations as part of our. Uh, draft assessment every year for the last couple of years. We use others as well. Um, no, they're not paying us, but if they really, really do want to give us <laughs> free draft, uh, free draft guides in the future, we will not stop them. Um, that's a picture of Jack Hughes. He looks like he's 12 years old, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. Uh, so pulling up last year's, uh, draft guide, uh, the two, 2019, Mm-hmm. They there's a lot of names that I've seen uh, listed at or near the top of this year's draft class who were pegged there last year. And we're talking almost a full year ago at this point. Um, the 2020 draft rankings for this year, according to uh, Central Scouting, uh, North America. Uh, these are the North American skaters. We'll get into some of the others in a minute, but. Just the top five, um, uh, Alex uh, Lafreniere, uh, Quentin Byfield, Jamie Drysdale, Cole uh, Perfetti, Marco Rossi. Those are the top five there uh, right now as of the most recent update. Yeah. Top two are exactly uh, the same uh, uh, for future considerations. Uh, you go down a little bit, and you've got Cole Perfetti still at number eight uh, in last year in the rankings that came out last year. Um, and, and those top two were obviously Lafreniere and um, Byfield. There's even leaving out the European players. Um, there's not a lot of divergence from last year. Uh, and even uh, Dr- Jamie Drysdale, uh, who is currently, let's see, he's third in the North American skaters for 2020, according to NHL Central Scouting. He's still he was tenth uh, overall in there in the uh, future considerations list last year at this time. Okay. Um, let's see, Tim. And I am going to butcher that name. Uh, <laughs> Stutzel? 
well, St- uh, Tim Stutzel. Um, it sounds good to me. That's how I would have said it. <laughs> Lucas Raymond, uh, Alexander Holtz, Anton Lundell, and Rodin Emerov. Uh, those are those are the top five European skaters. Um, let's see. And I just lost my pain. But there hasn't there hasn't been that much change from. It really hasn't because you've got from last, last year to this year. I mean, obviously Lafreniere is going to stay at the top. I mean, uh, I think Quentin Byfield is a heck of a lot more than just the guy who's going to be drafted behind Lafreniere. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like the whole thing with it, you know Taylor Hall or, or Tyler Sagan, you know, and. and the guy getting to pick number two this time around is getting him, getting themselves a really, I mean, six foot four, two fourteen. He's a center. I mean, Quentin Byfield's not to be ignored here. I think that this is probably going to be one of the. I think that this draft is going to have a true top ten for the first time since. I don't know when was Evander Kane drafted. That was a huge draft where there was a legitimate. One through fifteen, you knew where you're getting an impact player. Um, I I like this draft class. Like no one's been talking about this draft class. They've been talking about uh, Lafreniere. They've been talking a little bit about Byfield. I think we may see one of the deeper draft classes in a long time uh, at the at, at the NHL draft this year. Um, the fact that there has been so little movement in the, among the top players to me says that they have these guys pegged pretty well, um, and that they understand and that there actually is separation between the best players and the rest of the players. Um, and a lot of years, you know, you have one or two guys who are almost certainly better three or four guys who are probably better and then 207 guys is who are there. Okay. Uh, this year, this year, uh, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that there are minimum of five guys will either have their jerseys retired by a franchise or hit the Hall of Fame. Wow. Okay. I'd like to write that. I'm going to write that down. Go ahead. Write it down. Everyone, (laughs) everyone, go ahead. Uh, You can take it to the bank. Uh, Minimum of five guys, jerseys retired by a fran- by an NHL franchise, or uh, or into a hall into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, the only other interestingly distinct thing about this draft, mm-hmm. um, you may or may not have noticed it. Um, I think it's more a symptom of what happened, or a more a reflection of what happened last year than any change in uh, development. There's no Americans anywhere in sight. 
Ouch. None. Like, the highest-ranked American when they closed uh, everything last year was Dylan Peterson. And then the second-highest-rated one was uh, Tyler Cleveson. Um, I would not be surprised if we made it, uh, out of the top 15, maybe even the top 20, um, without an American being drafted. I mean, the U S uh, the U S national development team was pretty much emptied last year. Um, and that's going to have an impact. Uh, but I, yeah, we could legitimately see half of the first round go by without without a uh, without an American being drafted. Damn. Considering just a couple of years ago all the kids who were just taken out of St. Louis, let alone the rest of the United States. Yeah, the St. Louis area was denuded of talent uh, not so long ago. Yeah. I, I I don't know what to expect then. I mean... This, it, this it, is going to be an interesting draft, and an interesting draft to follow for three or four years. Um, if there's that much identifiable in those first 12 or so, first 12, 15 kids, mm-hmm. it gives me... Personally, some hope that there's going to be um, that there's going to be a couple of really, really solid second round picks. I'm not saying we're going to see uh, two Patrice Bergeron's in this draft um, or player, but players who have a similar level of impact. Uh, if it, if a completely different style, I you know, have maybe, to, uh, No, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I have to hope that the I. I from what I'm seeing, a lot of what we're looking at in in that area looks like Bruins going to end up drafting yet another defenseman. <laughs> and as much as I really like a lot of the defensemen they have picked up, they don't need any more defensemen. Like legit, get a right winger. Get a right winger. Although down there, down rank. And then that's if rankings are be to be to be believed. But you got Daniel Gushin is a right winger that's somewhere in the mid to high twenties as far as a ranking. So uh, you know between twenty five and thirty, which is I mean it's a fair assumption that the Bruins will be drafting in that range. Yeah, if they don't trade their pick or uh, did, trade, wait, did they wait, 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 did they trade the first round pick to? Yeah, they did. They traded to the to the Ducks. I don't think the Bruins have. Uh, I'd have to look that up. I don't think the Bruins have a first round pick. I think that's the one they traded to the Ducks for for Kasha, along with Bacchus and Anderson. That would have to take a quick look at Cap Friendly. Um, to the best of my knowledge, yeah, they don't. Uh, yeah, no, if that's no, the trade, no they first. don't have a first. No first. Traded away for, that was the Kasha deal, for 
for a first backer. I'm fine with it. Cash has got another year left on his deal. My thing and and my thing with this year's both deals. I mean, the Nick Ritchie one felt like everybody was making deals on deadline day, and Sweeney didn't want to miss out, so he had to make a deal. It didn't matter what it was, but at least he got somebody who has again has term. He has another year on his contract, just like Kasha does. I think Kasha is going to be a pretty good player. Nick Ritchie is. Uh, better than his brother. <laughs> wow, Chris. <laughs> hey, that's it's next. You'll be telling me that Ray Bork is a better hockey player than his sons. Well, I was gonna say that, but since you've said it, I don't have to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah, I think that the Bruins need to concentrate on somewhere around the 55th to 60th pick. (laughs) Uh, Maybe they trade some of the 7,000 defensemen in there, uh, and it's not quite (laughs) that high. And on that note, boys and girls. (laughs) But uh, legitimately, if they decide that they're going to move, that Pavel Shen is not going to be playing on the team in the next two years— Move, move him. Um, same with Cameron Hughes or Yona Kapanen. Uh, Kapanen. Do we think that? Do we think that Trent Frederick might stick around them? I don't know. See, I see, mean, Trent Frederick's been up here and he's already been involved in fights at the NHL. I mean, don't get me wrong. So is Jeremy Lozon. Trent Frederick looks like he can. He's he, uh, no. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I yeah. You can compare those two. I I was thinking of the other person from that draft class who's. Oh, no, not Saboro, please. Um, I think that if we could find a way to deal him. Um, so he can get a fresh start. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Fresh and start for Saboro. And he can take uh, Zach with him. <laughs> You're just going to not let Zach alone. Okay. They haven't moved on Zach for a reason. <laughs> no one will take him? <laughs> that could be the reason. I don't know. I'm thinking that somebody somebody in the organization likes him and wants to give him every opportunity. But Well, I mean, that's, but, those seven goals in 42 games this year are staggering. That doesn't tell you something. A goal every six games is very important. I mean, whoa. <laughs> hey, I met his mom. I met his dad. Nice people. I didn't say they weren't. And he was very excited that the Bruins had drafted him because that was the team that he wanted to be drafted by. That's great. He's been drafted by them. Wish fulfilled. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, I they I think if they can if they can get back into the first round somehow, uh, it would be nice. But then again, with all the I mean, with the defensive signings that they made. I think they can get back into the first round if they want to. Uh, it's just a matter of who they're going to give up. Um, you know, if if Tukarask is serious about not playing uh, beyond the end of this contract, there's a 15 team. No, uh, there's 15 teams he can be traded to, and there's at least 10 teams in the league that need a goalie. Oh, easily. And the overlap uh, of those has to probably be at least five or six. 
Um, what else do we want to talk about this week, uh, if anything? Uh, well, the only stories left uh, involve a subject that we tried very hard to avoid for this episode. Um, actually, we have completely avoided it. And I am completely okay with jumping right to next week without talking about it. It would make it a rarity among uh, sports talk right now. Let's uh, do not that. Up. Okay. Um, anything else then? No. Good show. <laughs> awesome. Um, next week, the two of us are going to put together a pair of three-on-three teams, skaters only, uh, to throw at to throw at each other. Um, there are rules. There are rules. I will tweet those rules. Um, if you want to put together a team, tweet them at me and we'll talk about it too. Um, Absolutely. I'm of course, uh, puck sage at Twitter or on Twitter. You can send it to Chris too. Um, I, oh, the well, thanks G at the off wing. Yeah. Um, but here's the rules. No two players from the same team, no two, no players who had more than 30 goals for a forward or eight goals for a defenseman. I thought it was 38 goals. No, 30, 3-0. Oh, okay. Oh, the eight is the defenseman, yeah. Okay, yes. 30 goals and eight goals, yes. We're each going to build two teams to post and debate. Um, no player can be used twice. That means you can't have um, David Perron on both of your rosters. Uh, no player who has had, uh, oh, wait a minute. I have that rule in there twice. Never mind. <laughs> um, we'll get it squared away. Yes. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Stay healthy. Uh, share the show. Um, uh, keep it down to under 10 or so six feet away. Go get, go take a walk, um, outside. It's okay. It's good for you. Um, Oh, it's raining uh, today. Bring an umbrella. Try and laugh at something. Really. Find something to laugh at. Uh, Also. And wash your hands. Turn off the news. Nobody can hear you when you do that, by the way. Yes, they can. (laughs) They will turn off the news because I said so. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you.